This is Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship to the world. I'm Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, Meg Lewis and Gatamba Silanagita join us to discuss the differences between designing something independently and working on a team. Can we do better work together? Or is everyone else just dragging down your class project? Do I have to do everything myself? I heard a cat in someone's background. The cat was also yeah, excited to do this. Yeah, that was me. Wrigley <laughs> decided to scream right as I said, are we all recording? Uh, I, I'm not allowed to have pets. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is that like on a police order or something? You're not allowed to have pets? I assume you meant your building, but maybe what'd you do to a pet? Is that a law? <laughs> no, my building. No, not by court order. Um, no, just my building. All animals have a restraining order against Katamba. They band <laughs> together, they hired a lawyer, and they decided that... <laughs> No, not this guy. Not anymore. Not this guy. Never again. We're in the middle of what we call a cold opening. This is, this is some, some shop talk. That's, that's what we just did, a cold open. But welcome to Working File, episode two of Working File. This is the second one, right? Right? Yeah, I this think is it is. the second one. It's bad that I'm losing count already, considering we're only on number two. <laughs> one, and then what's the one that comes after one, Andy? Doesn't oh, bode well. Two. Andy Mangold, too. Doesn't that's bode the well. One. Don't make fun of my Skype name. It's a They're tragedy. never going to let him live this down. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, Working File is a panel show where we talk about design and we try and talk about it in a smart way and not a dumb way. And uh, tonight we're going to be discussing designing on teams versus designing as an individual. So I'm joined as always uh, by, I'm to say, I'm Andy Mangold and I'm joined as always by my co-host Matt McInerney. Good evening, Matt. Good evening. It's not really evening, it's still light outside. It's light outside. Happy, uh, happy seven o'clock. How about that? Oh, and tonight we're joined by two wonderful guests. The guest who's been talking already nonstop about animals and how he's on a restraining <laughs> order from them uh, is our good friend, designer and strategist, Gatamba Silanagita. Hey guys, pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, at least you didn't introduce me as, uh, like in the last show you guys had with me, as Gatmanuba Salsa. That's okay. I also go by that name. I wasn't even on to that show. Fair, you you introduced yourself that way. Uh, th- we're referring to an old podcast called On the Grid, and you referred to yourself that way, and then it just became irresistible because wh- it's t- it's too fun. What are you supposed to do? I, it, it flows from the tongue. It just flows yeah. from the tongue. If you're going to throw that out there, it's going to get picked up. So I don't. That's your own fault. Absolutely. I wasn't there. I can't be blamed if Matt mispronounced your name. He's extremely extremely insensitive. All right, Andy, too. Be quiet. All right. We're also joined uh, by the one, the only, Meg Lewis. Meg is a designer who recently moved from New York to Minneapolis, where she lives in a beautiful home you can find on Twitter. She posts pictures all the time. She's the founder of Ghostly Ferns, uh, and she does fun things for happy companies. Meg, hello. Yo, yo, yo. Meg is in her closet right now, she said. I am. I'm in my closet right now. I'm wedged between uh, my old high school band uniform and a bunch of blankets, so (laughs) life is good. Committed to good quality audio. I hope everyone out there appreciates this dedication. Absolutely. I'm loving it. All right. Well, we've got you both on the line. I don't want to waste your valuable time. Let's dive right into our topic. Uh, As I mentioned, we're going to talk about the difference between designing on a team and designing as an individual. Um, I kind of wanted to start uh, with the fact that this is something I I focus on a lot because, you know, now I'm in a position in my job where I'm kind of hopefully trying to decide how a team should work together when they're designing something. And it strikes me that there's this big disconnect between how most people learn to become a designer, whether you're self-taught or you went to a college or a university, 
almost everybody learns to become a designer on projects where they're the only one working on it, right? Save for a few like painstaking group projects. Uh, the projects you work on, mostly when you're learning, are solitary. You come up with the ideas, you come up with a couple different options, you flesh them out, you discuss which ones are good or bad, you pick the final one, you refine it, uh, and it all kind of happens within you and yourself. And then we get into the workforce. I feel like the reality of most people's jobs as professional designers of any kind is that they are collaborating a lot, they're working on teams, and it seems to me like there's a difference between those two things, and there's a big disconnect between how we're taught and how the actual professional world works. Um, Meg, I wanted to start with you because you are the founder of Ghostly Ferns. For those of you who don't know what Ghostly Ferns is, you describe yourself as what, like a happy family of freelancers, correct? We sure are. We uh, work as a bunch of individual freelancers, but we also like to work on projects together for clients as often as possible. So we're halfway in between an agency and a collaborative studio or a collective. And it seems to me from the time I've spent around the Ghostly Ferns folks and the work I've seen you post online that you've really spent some time thinking about what it's like to design as a group of people and you've gotten quite good at it. So I'm curious to know from you, Meg, like what, what is the process like at Ghostly Ferns and, and how do you see this relationship of designing as a group versus designing as an individual? Ooh, good question. I think this is, this is important, especially to me because I am a freelancer and I'm a proud freelancer, but I also love people and I like working with my friends as much as possible. So that's kind of why we formed our group. And companies hire us half of the time as individuals because they want a specific person's work. And we each have our own specialty, so a company will know what they want sometimes and hire just one of us. But a lot of times companies hire us as a whole group, or they'll hire two or three of us, and we work together that way too. So I do love working on teams, but I also love working as a solo person as well. And also as a freelancer, I get hired by companies and I get injected into their team as well. So I work on a lot of different teams all the time. So even when you're freelancing, you're still designing on a team. It's just not your team. It's somebody else's team that you're kind of integrating with and collaborating with. Exactly. Yep. So do you have a preference? Do you, do you prefer to work as a group as much as possible? Do you kind of secretly enjoy the projects where they just hire you? You don't have to deal with anybody else? Or is it nice just to have both? I love having both because I'm very much an introvert that loves people. So <laughs> when I'm working <laughs> on a team, I love it and I'm totally into it until I can't take it anymore. And that's why I'm a freelancer, because then I can go and have some alone time for a couple of weeks and work by myself. Mm -hmm. But I think that for me, whenever I get injected into a team, I'm used to kind of adapting to a team's existing work process. Uh, and every team is so different. And so a lot of times they'll bring me in and they'll say, what's your process? And I have to say, no. What's your process? Because I have to make my process their process. And so it's kind of fascinating that way. And I get a lot of different work styles and I learn something new every time I work with a new team. But I think that's the, the most challenging part for sure is just kind of trying to adapt to their process and make it work really seamlessly. So, Gatamba, you have worked for a number of different companies over the years. Uh, Every six seconds, somebody new. <laughs> and uh, if you've mostly been on like pretty sizable teams or small teams of people. Have you ever worked as a freelancer or worked independently? I mean, only in like small bursts. I think I've always sort of seen that like my my biggest hurdle is it's like I hate the operation side of being a freelancer. I'm never I'm I I relish anybody who's really good at keeping up with taxes and making sure products are coming in and, 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 and all that op stuff is something that like, I love when I'm working in an organization and just like the products keep coming in. But on my own, it's, it's, I, I like it because it's, it's, it's maybe incredibly more intimate. You find yourself struggling with it, uh, as a guy, sometimes like uh, Meg said, you're injected into a team, but you're still sort of the outsider hired gun. And sometimes you're, 
you know, deep in your, you know, hobbit hovel trying to figure it out. But um, I think in general for me, like I tend to prefer being on teams because um, in general, like the, I always believe that in like a group of people, the clever idea is hiding in someone's brain. And the more friction I can have with the idea with like other designers or even other disciplines or like completely other parts of the organization, the quicker we can get to the solving the problem. So one of the things I'm most interested in is how all of you, Matt included, of course, feel about the actual finished product, the quality of the work when working in these two different ways. Now, I don't mean quality just like good or bad. I mean, like, is there something about the fundamental nature of the work or about a certain type of project that is better suited to one of these two disciplines? Meg, I know you specifically mentioned that sometimes people hire you because they want one person's work. They're presumably seeking that person's like taste and aesthetic, right? Exactly. And in those situations, that person is probably better suited to for delivering that alone than working with a group of people they're trying to kind of direct and, and, and do whatever. Um, so what are the projects that are, are better for groups to work on or where, you know, the, the, the brief or the, the challenge presented to you is something where you're like, you know what, this is something for the team. This is not something for an individual. I think a lot of times with designers, we're hired as either artists or we're hired as problem solvers. And for us designers who are hired as artists, that's when clients usually grab the person that they want, that artist that has this specific style that they need, and they bring that person in for their style. Um, but for us designers who are problem solvers, we really, really need to work in a team because problem solving is so hard to do by yourself because each person's brain can only think a certain way and it's really hard to get your brain to change. And that's why I like working on teams because I get other brains in the mix and people help me to solve problems in different ways than I wouldn't have been able to do by myself. Do you see it as um, as purely problem solving? Is there also something like what about when you're kind of hired for your style or your taste or something, but it's an issue of scale? Like there's just so much work. No single human could do it. That's kind of where I, I wonder how to deal with the problem where it's like, OK, we have many talented people working on this thing. There's a lot of work to be done. But do we respect everybody's individual opinion? Do we need like one guiding vision and everyone just has to follow suit and forget about what they're opinion about this is for this one project until we get back to you working individually. Do you ever come across those situations? I do. And I think that's where my instinct as a freelancer really has a hard time with this because I really have a hard time letting things go and just letting them be out of my hands. And, you know, I think it's really hard to to grasp that for me and for most freelancers. And I think that people who work on teams like Gatamba more frequently, he's probably much more used to uh, giving other designers the reins than I am. So I, you know, this is something that I definitely really struggle with. Um, and I'm interested to hear Gatamba's point of view too. Um, I mean, it's definitely like, like, I think for like fighting yourself in like urban design problems or industrial product design problems, it's just one of those things where the scale of everything like multiplies by a billion percent. And even though like I can find myself coming up with something beautiful for my like beautiful that the client will like as soon as you start to go into the world of like mass production or safety and regulatory or legal it's just it's like i need more people i need more people to be lifting more weights <laughs> absolutely and um but at the same time i i think that like there's there's got to be a balance in just that um a design leader is usually that amazing design leaders design managers as soon as like it gets bigger than being three to four designers or if 10 designers, all of a sudden you need that leadership that reigns us all in organizationally, gets us all together to figure out that we're, we're all moving in the same pieces. And I think 
um, I don't know. I, I've I've never I've always seen it done in in that way. But at the same time, like I rem- I'm trying to remember the name of this collective because um, it just popped into my brain when Meg was talking about it. That was, um, but there's been a lot of really interesting collectives too that are able to produce scale, even though they're all these freelance individual individual moving parts. So I can't say like one style or another can't come to like to Matt's question. Like can't like step up to that uh, to that podium and be able to do the work. Actually, the third one I'll introduce to this is I feel like we have we we just mentioned there's a kind of like we want one artistic vision and maybe one person can do it. It's a challenge when many have to. There's the kind of big problem solving where it requires a big big team. Uh, the third that I find myself in a lot is. Um, it, it is a problem, right? It's a big problem to be solved in design in that sense, where it's not just like picking a style uh, or like hiring someone for their their like taste and sensibilities. Um, but it doesn't, it's not so much work that it requires more than one person, uh, but you still want that feedback, right? You still want the feedback of a team. So I, I often find myself in situations and I think some of the harder ones are like, I do work on, you know, I do work as part of an agency that has more than one designer. So there are people that I can bounce my ideas off of. They may not necessarily be working on the project. So you're saying, hey, can you take a look at this? Tell me what you think about it from an outside perspective. And then there's that balance of like, it's really useful to have somebody who doesn't know as much about it, but has a design skill set to talk about it. But then also there are times you have to say, you just do not understand the context. This, this feedback isn't as valuable. It might be more valuable if there's someone else working on it, but just based on you know, the amount of work, it doesn't make sense to bring one more person into this project. Uh, which I, I haven't quite figured out how to handle that one yet, uh, where you obviously have your vision, you want feedback, but how much of it are you going to take and how much of it uh, do you have to say, you just don't understand the context enough to, to provide feedback on this thing. I just got to have to move forward because it's complicated. And there's also kind of a trap there, which is that if you are the person that designed the thing and you are also the person that is now going to furnish somebody else with the appropriate context to understand it, you're going to bias them, right? You, you, your context yes, is not absolutely. going to be your context is not going to be pure and uh, and you know sent from the heavens. It's going to be you're going to explain all the things in the way in which you understood it, which led you to your solution or your design. <laughs> and then of course the person's going to go, sure, yeah, that makes sense. You. If you explain it that way. Here's all the context. Here's what some idiot said about it, but here's what I think about mm-hmm. it. What do you think? So I, th- I think that is a tough situation. I mean, it sounds like, for me, that's when I'm like, I hope that there's some sort of strong design mind, maybe outside of myself, that can come in and give, and give like, good, I mean, hopefully within context opinion, within context feedback. Because without it, then it's sort of like, I... I find myself, I've, I've been in that situation. I'm literally tr- going to other designers or non-designers and I'm working freelance and I'm asking everybody like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And sort of sell my reasoning for the design solution. But at the same time, trying to hope to get like uh, positive feedback from like the core consumer that I'm trying to work for at the same time. And, and sometimes for me, like that causes me to miss the mark because I'm, I, I get lost in the, in the psychology of selling my own idea. Yeah, I know. I too, I have to like prevent myself from explaining things in a way that is like naturally a pitch right like yeah. I'll, I will default to uh justifying things when no one's asked for justification and I'm just going to go and explain a bunch of things about it so that's something I have to like consciously tell myself is no no just put it in front of this person and then step back and don't try and point and explain and, and justify things before they've asked questions or before they've asked for it which I think is important so I, I do want to also kind of dive into the idea of what makes a successful team in the context of design? 
you know, we're talking a lot about how multiple people looking at a problem, thinking about a problem gives you different perspectives, helps you perhaps solve more of the like practical problems where you're like really doing problem solving as opposed to uh, more like artistic work for lack of a better word. And, and Meg, I should say, I really like that distinction. I, I've often felt like there are at least two uh, dis- discrete kind of approaches to design. And, and very oftentimes people are getting hired for one thing and they don't really understand that it's that's what they're being hired for. Uh, so I think that's an, a meaningful distinction to make, like the designer as artist versus the designer as problem solver. So that's one way to work. And it, it seems to me like there are definitely studios that uh, have a team of people, but still work in the artistic way. And, and the ones that come to mind are the ones that are very much led by like a, a figurehead of a person, right? Like uh, like the Sagmeisters of the world, the Luis Feliz of the world are people that have people working for them. But everything that comes out of a studio like that is still very much, you know, Sagmeister-y or I mean Sagmeister and Walsh-y now because Sagmeister and walsh together or they're very much you know Luis Felii uh, it's, a, it's still very strong in terms of like that person's taste and vision and sensibility um, so what what is it that makes a successful team effort on a design is it having this one person Gatamba you keep referring to this like design leader that's got the vision and you can all kind of uh, defer to that person whenever something is unclear or whenever there's a question or is it establishing some kind of means of actually working together to come up with a shared vision? Like, what? Did, how does it work? What, what makes a successful collaboration like that? Oof, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I I have to look at it a lot of times. Like when I when I'm envious of other teams, like I like your experimental jet sets or um, like the design team at like or a classic design team in like an era of a certain company or uh, be it a product or design. I think it's I I like when you have a lot of strong minds in the room because everyone's capable on their own. Like everyone can produce a piece of work, but I just think for like the as soon as you and maybe this gets a little too much into the uh, the 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 business insider like oh the A types and the A players and this and that, but you get them in a room. Like I've definitely been in a room with like every designer after every designer is is top notch and A and is an strong personality, bold thinking, and getting them to come to consensus is just murder. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've, I've been in those situations too, and it's, uh, I feel like from the client perspective, you're like, oh, I'm going to get two great designers, I'm going to put in a room, it's going to be amazing, and then you're in the room, and you're like, somebody's got to take a back seat, this is not, we could be here all day. That's sort of, I think my experience has run into that a lot of times in my career, is just that like, everyone in this room is just brilliant, and we are going to fight each other to the death to prove which one of us is more clever than the next guy. And I think part of that is what the client wants. They want that fervent energy coming into the work. And I think there's part of the competitive nature of designers at some certain levels to be that way. But there's definitely the days where I'm like, I wish it was just three of us and we could all decide and there was no need for a visionary design leader. And we could just sort of rein each other in. I think that's when you get the... Uh, the classic like Steve Jobs, like, you know, oh, that's not true. Like he says it a lot like Ringo or not Ringo. Uh, Ringo was not the leader of the, of the Beatles. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The King Beatle, Ringo. <laughs> R- Ringo isn't even the second best drummer in the Beatles. Um, like, <laughs> but like Paul, like you need some, I think at some point, like you, you need the, um, maybe it's an internal humbleness. Maybe it's just the need. Like sometimes it's clear like Meg said, there's a there's a there's a leader in this project. This is a specialty for that person, and that's usually like, oh, okay, we're working on designing a medical product. Okay, my friend who's done like ten years of medical products, you should probably lead this. I don't, I don't. Other than like being in the hospital most of my like teenage years, I that's it. Breaking stuff. I don't really know anything about hospitals, but 
other times it's not so clear. Everybody seems sort of uh, excited and energetic about like like getting on the client's project. So like you find each other competing. And I know for me, competition among designers just leads to like we're going to miss a deadline. We're going to well, miss that deadline. <laughs> I will say there is a time when it's appropriate, and I feel like there are, it's not for every project. But projects that that start with coming up with multiple options in multiple directions and knowing that whatever you're presenting to your client or whoever whoever the person in charge is, whoever you're presenting to, if there's a point in that project where you can present like a few distinct directions, that is a helpful time to have maybe many strong minds in the room and go very clearly and like, hey, let's either try this or this or this. But once you pick a direction, then it is not helpful at all. Like it's almost like let's... And that I've worked on projects too, where it's like very clearly, we're gonna have like three design leaders or two design leaders on the project up front uh, to come up with ideas, and then after that, one of those teams is gonna take it and run with it because you can't keep doing that. But you can do you can do it up front and just say these are distinctly different. Let's pick one of them and move forward with it. Totally, it's something that I always think about whenever I start thinking about designing on a on a team is that. One of the most valuable lessons that I learned when I was learning to become a designer was that creativity is very much work. Uh, I, 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 still, I still definitely agree with, uh, with Meg, your kind of distinction of designer as artist versus designer as problem solver. And I think sometimes people that subscribe to the designer as artist mentality feel like uh, their process you know, is this weird sort of nebulous thing that's hard to pin down and only they can do it and no one else can do it. And it's kind of like this special thing uh, and something I learned, which I, I hope I think most of you will agree with, is that if you need to like make something creative, the best thing to do is just to like sit down and make a bunch of things. Like just just do it, <laughs> right? Like just it, it's just work in the sense that if you draw a million versions of something, one of them will be interesting, or a couple of them will have interesting elements, and you can pull them together, and something unexpected will happen. Um, and so when I think about working on a team, uh, especially working on a team that contains people that are maybe less experienced, uh, that are there as interns or junior designers or whatever. I always think about the idea of if we truly believe in the idea that creativity is work, it stands to reason that you should be able to like clearly define that work and distribute it and say, everybody do these things. And then where this kind of like design leadership or design management or whatever you want to call it comes into play is when you have all that ammunition, you have all that raw material that everyone's gone off and created in the way that it is work. And then you kind of whittle down and you figure out what is the way you're actually going to go with it. Um, at Ghostly Ferns, do you have a sense on projects when you're working together as, as a team of like somebody leading it? Or do you kind of all, you know, all on the same level? There's no like one person leading each project. How does that work uh, with, with your company? Yeah, so we've, we've, we're all best friends, which is really interesting and cool. And it creates this environment where we 100% trust each other and we really, truly respect each other. And because we're working with our best friends on projects, we are just so excited to be working together, to be spending all of our time with our best friends, and there is nothing better. So we have this magical atmosphere where we put one person in charge who knows the most about the subject or they are the most passionate about that product. We put that person in charge, and because we do love and trust that person, uh, we actually have an entirely conflict-free uh, in, entire process. It's pretty great. And we've noticed that, especially with injecting myself in various teams, I've really noticed that the best teams usually have a leader or a manager who is really excited about their job. They're excited about what they're working on. They're extremely encouraging to the rest of the team. And they're critical in just the right way. And I think that 
those environments are the best environments because they do create that atmosphere of trust and just, you know, sort of wholeheartedly putting yourself into a product. And these critical leaders, they really like their job and it kind of creates an environment that really shows in their product. And I think you can really tell that with products like MailChimp and Etsy and especially Cards Against Humanity. Those people that work at those companies love their jobs and they're so excited about what they're doing. And it really shows in their product. And I think creating that magical, wonderful environment of trust is really important, I've noticed. And and you mentioned that like, on all these projects, you think there is an important role for a leader. And what is that role? Like, so is that somebody that is, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, like Steve Jobsian, who has like the vision and pushes people to do better work than they've ever done before? Or is that somebody who's simply, you know, practically making sure everything gets done and kind of managing things? What is that role? For Anybody can answer. I'm just curious to know, like, what that looks like. Um, I think it's, for me, it's, it's always been somebody like, probably a hundred percent like Meg said, it's like, they're excited about being themselves at the company. They're excited about us as a team and about our individual skills. They're excited about the problems and the solutions and, uh, that we have to go through. But also I think there's someone who is actively building a culture that, uh, that sustains and fuels and like livens this team to be able to like, honestly go into battle Monday through Friday and like get this stuff done. And I think without it, I, I think it doesn't need to be like, I, like if, for instance, like Steve at Apple is like, you know, he's more like an ultimate editor, creative director. There are multiple levels of design people who are overseeing multiple teams who are, um, who are all responsible, we're all responsible to him, but like we're fueling their, their, you know, their 10 to 15 person teams that were working on something as little as like the latch on a, on a device or, you know, the keyboard on something or the icons on something else. But, um, and each of them, you know, had their own culture and had their own mantras and had their own way of going through things. And I've, and I was recently at Nike and like every design team is different. Like the, the apparel team is different than the, like the shoe team and everyone's fueling each other differently to get through, you know, their own design process. And I think, um, you just have at at that level of size of teams and bureaucracy and politics of a company, you kind of have to have those tight knit, you know, leaders running really tight knit team. But at like you know at the smaller studio size, I I've also respected a lot of really great boutiques that have a way more fun culture, a way more interesting way of like getting each other psyched up about work. And I I mean I wish you could scale that. Well, I, I if we just get down to like the nuts and bolts of what those people are actually doing, the people who are leading the the teams of designers, uh, I think they're acting as kind of gatekeepers or editors, right? Like I don't even necessarily know that I have to say they have a vision, but they at least like are making sure that. Uh, these two things are not totally unalike. We're applying the style guide. We're applying the whatever whatever thing has been decided early on. A product like MailChimp, I think, is a good example where it does seem clear that they've either decided the vision or the style or whatever whatever you want to call it. Somebody in charge of something like that just has to be good at knowing what where we're going, knowing what to edit out. Like really, I see it as like knowing what to make sure doesn't get out in the world. Um, because I, I feel like it can that it can easily spiral if no one's managing it because not for any malicious reason, just you have any number of people working on something that have slightly different ideas of what, even if they have the, even if they say they have the shared vision, they have slightly different ideas of what that is, um, come out looking very messy uh, or dysfunctional. So the next thing I want to talk about then is just scale and how that changes things. Um, Kitamba, you worked for, for Nike, uh, which is, I think, a bigger company than any of us have worked for. Uh, Matt, you used to work for Pentagram, which is a 
not a huge company, but it's entirely full of designers, right? You're not you're not on a team where there's other kinds of people. It's designers everywhere and, and, and big groups of them. And it seems like in all those situations, and also in you know situations where we've worked with clients and been sort of injected into their design teams, uh, there's always this kind of uh, segmentation, right? Like if a company has 70 designers, they're never all working together on the same project. It just is doesn't seem to work that way. Uh, usually people seem to like somehow gravitate towards somewhere between like five and 10 people on a team. And if you have a giant company, you've just got X number of teams of designers that are all doing something. Um, what is it about that magic number that just happens to to work? Or is, is that something I'm, I'm, am I missing something? Are there teams that are actually like, there's 50 of us and we all work together all the time? Come on, Andy, you've read that Malcolm Gladwell book. It's nature. <sighs> Sorry, I'm kidding. But I do think, I mean, I do think there's something, you do have to break bigger teams into manageable groups. There's, there is a point at which you just can't communicate effectively with too many people. And I don't know what exactly what it is, but it's like five or six people or something. Um, you just can't communicate effectively once it gets beyond that or, or like you're spending more than a day to communicate one thing to everybody in the team. You know what I mean? It is, uh, it's just, just about like a amount of time or something. But it, I, I definitely like hear that. And that's like a, a general management business thing, right? Like, yeah. But is this different specifically for design? I guess like the com- some of the companies I've seen, you know, up close and personal will have design teams of six people, but then engineering teams of 20 or 30. And the 20 or 30 engineers really are working together on the same thing. They've got one, hmm. you know, board of tasks and they're divvying things up and, you know, tackling things together. Uh, is there something specific about design that makes it not scale to bigger groups? There's got to be. Like, the, the, as soon as you said that, I started to picture, like, the hierarchy of any sort of, like, like team system. And designers are, like, we're always broken down into, like, the smallest possible number because it's just, I, I, maybe it's because of the generative things that we get come up with. I mean, uh, I can't really speak for, like, code reviews for engineers, but 20 engineers can, like, come up with, you know, they just seem to, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying to put myself back in situations that are both, like, software engineers and mechanical engineers. Like, they sort of just have a, a different lexicon for dealing with each other in larger numbers than designers do. Well, I think, I mean, if we just break it down between software engineers and designers, I think one simple answer to that is I think the job of being a software engineer is a lot more about repeated behavior using existing solutions and applying them in a creative way. So like you could use many of the same existing solutions and not the designers don't do that, but maybe it's a little bit less so. So it's a little bit more difficult to control. I don't know. I think a lot of programmers <laughs> would argue that it's equally as creative as any kind of design work. Sometimes I I'm wonder not, if it's I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue against the creativity of programming at all. Hooray, we win. No, I, I, I wonder that Matt sometimes because it feels to me sometimes like, yes, software development or any kind of engineering, like I've, seen teams of other kinds of engineers as well that, uh, you know, work together in bigger groups. And sometimes I wonder if it's just the nature of the work, right? Like, oh, uh, the problem is more clearly defined in in engineering, right? Like, you need to just do this thing and success is clear. Success is when all of these tests pass and all of these yeah. uh, sort of requirements are set. Uh, and to be clear, I'm guessing because like in the world, on, on my teams, like we have maybe a max of like five or six engineers working on a team. I've never worked with a team of 20 engineers at the exact same time. So I don't know. Right? Yeah. Like I think and our teams, the teams on in my company are pretty similar to the design teams, maybe a little bit bigger for engineers. No, I, I was gonna say that I have been on, I have worked with teams that, that big in terms of engineers uh, and been like the design voice on a team like that. And sometimes I wonder, Matt, if it's just the nature of the work, right? Like the problem is more clearly defined, the definitions of what needs to be done, the tasks are easily, you know, broken down into little like bite-sized pieces. And that just means that, 
the nature of the work means that you can have more people working on it. And sometimes I just wonder if the engineering world has spent way more time in figuring out how to communicate with each other than design world ever did. Uh, and because of that, they've attained this new ability to collaborate that we just don't have access to because like name a, de a design collaborative tool. Like, well, I mean, there's, there's the, there's the one basic thing is like engineering in a lot of ways is using the language of math and design in a lot of ways is using the English language, whatever language you speak, which is way less cut and dry than using math. Uh, which I don't know, maybe we could, maybe we could speak in math mostly, but, uh, it doesn't seem to quite fit as much as I'd liked it to be problem solving more than art. Like I think Meg made a clear distinction. I, I, I appreciate the distinction Meg made in that there's a little bit of both in there. And I think because of that, it becomes more difficult to communicate specifically. But to my, like, I'm just thinking like, even if you're like pure, like, uh, I, I remember one brief for me was Gitamba solve the commercial sexual sexual exploitation of women and i was like what the hell <laughs> and, I, and i was like how is, is there an ultimate solution what does that even entail and 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 even the problem ended up being technological economical physical like product design and i worked in a team of industrial designers and strategists and designers and um it was still problem solving it still had to be pretty but I, I think when I compare that to um, this tension rod in this building needs to be able to withstand, you know, this much pressure per square inch, that's 20 designers going to town for a month and then somebody going, I got it. And being able to, like, go back to, like, a drawing board and math and physics and computer models. And they, they work a lot faster in revisions and iterations. I guess the, I I guess the answer to that one is, like, one, the first thing you said, uh, when is it clear that you're done? The second one, at least there's a clear stopping point. Yeah. We're like, up, oh, we solved it. There it is. Um, but what was the context for that? That's. Uh, uh, I worked at an innovation and strategy shop called Red Scout, and we were like uh, a nonprofit organization. That's literally the brief that they put in front of us. And I was like, what the hell? Like, and it was it was some grim work, ladies and gentlemen. Like grim work. I I knew nothing of the subject, and like, and our whole thing was like. I, like I didn't like and the and the solution wasn't even defined by the client. They were like it could be a ad campaign, it could be a product, it could be and it was just nebulous. And I and, and it was weeks of coming up with like I went to go talk to economists about how do you how do you like change the game of like the the counterfeiting and the slave labor and the sexual exploitation just fiscally and that was a whole like studying research coming up with solutions that like attacked it from that side of thing. Other side was like, you know, there's so many, like, I remember I came up with an idea, like, because um, we were thinking in third world countries, I'm like, everybody's got like mobile phones, especially flip phones, like, what can I come up with that'll help, you know, take these women from, you know, not safe situations to safe situations to opportunities that remove them from this. And again, as a designer, as a strategist, as a business person, it was nebulous. And it was like, I, I had to have like a, like a boss that said, like, I think you're done. Like, I think you're done. I think, I think this is, I think this is what we're going to head towards and what we're going to present. And other times it was like, I had no idea when this, like, when, the, like, what's this, like, what's even the metrics that we create that help us understand if Gitama did a good job, if Red Scott did a good job. And that was sort of like, like the, the nuts part about when art and design and the real world collide and we sort of are placed outside of our comfort zone. Well, that's all very great, Gitama, but I made a website last week. So, you know, that's pretty important <laughs> and complicated too. <laughs> No, there's days where I'm like, I want to be Andy. I just want to be in a cool, like, direction with under Andy. And Andy's like, Gitamba, go solve a problem. I'm like, dope, let's go. Get it done. I'm out here. None I'm of the problems here. I'd be able to give you would be nearly <laughs> as intractable and complicated. 
Um, okay, so uh, let's move on a little bit. Um, I want to talk about conflict resolution now. What what happens when you disagree with people on your team? Um, and in, in my life, this has not happened as much with the other designers and friends of the web, which may or may not be because we I hired them. I, I don't know if that if that really affects how much people are willing to disagree <laughs> or if I just hire people that are similar in sort of values. But it does happen with our clients pretty often. Um, and, you know, wh- what do you do in a situation where you're on a team and you've got, uh, you know, a disagreement? Uh, some subset of people think that we should do X. Other subset of people think we should do Y. Uh, how does that get resolved in, in your different collaborative work environments? How strongly do you feel about the problem, Andy? Is that what it is? I mean, I, f- I think it comes down to that. In my world, it comes down to that. Like, there are plenty of situations where I will push and push and push uh, until, I mean, there will be a breaking point. Ultimately, it comes down to who's going to pay the bills for this. And then if they put their foot down and say, I won't pay unless you do this, not that it ever comes to that. But I feel like that's the inevitable end to, like, a situation that will not end. Um, but for the most part, like, if somebody can explain their reasoning behind something and I disagree, but I listen and I think, well... It's not a stupid reason. It's a pretty good reason. I just happen to disagree about it. But is it really like, are we willing to change the deadline of the project for it? Are we willing to change the direction of the project for it? Like, are we willing to have a bad relationship moving forward because of it? Sometimes the answer is no. And you you bend and that's that's okay. Like, I don't think I think compromise always means failure. Um, But there have definitely been things where I put my foot down and said, absolutely not. And sometimes people respect that. And they they say, okay, I appreciate that you're willing to go so far for this. Let's do it. Um, but I do think ultimately, like, who's paying for this thing to happen? They kind of have the most say in this. And what about a situation where it's not your client? It's it's somebody that's just on your team with you. I mean, I, I know by far the most knockdown, drag out arguments I've ever had have been with, like, you know, people I've been working with, uh, not people I've been hired by. Because you're right, the the flow of power is much more clear when somebody's paying for it. And you're just like, well... You clearly have final say if you're gonna if you're gonna you know die on that hill. Um, Are you saying it's someone like an equal partner to you? So there's not really the power struggle doesn't end so easily. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's not always that power differential. Uh, I mean, I, I I guess we kind of said earlier when we talked about how it was important to have some kind of leadership that we're basically saying it is important to have a differential of power on a project so yeah, that kind this of. doesn't happen. You, you need some hierarchy because if it comes down to uh, one vote and one vote, well, this is gonna be hard to solve if it's something impassable, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Meg, on your team of best friends that where everything's perfect and great all the time and nothing bad ever happens. Yeah, uh, I want to be on Meg's team. Meg, let's just, uh, there are no problems. This is perfect. You don't get to be on Meg's team because you're not your best friend yet. You have to earn exactly. that. Damn it. Damn it. Um, it, if you do have a, a disagreement on, on a team, on a project, is it just basically deferred to the person that is the, the leader or is there some other process you go through? Yes. So it's usually to defer to the person that is the leader, but it's happened so infrequently that I can't even give that good of advice. Um, But I do have a lot of conflict with clients that comes up all the time. And on our team, I think with teammates as well as clients, I usually take this similar approach. And I think in general, I have sort of a process that most people disagree with on conflict resolution. But my process is to learn how to write a really good apology email. Uh, (laughs) So what I like to do is I like to make the person feel very heard. I like to make sure that they feel 100% heard and that they get 100% of all of their feelings out there and they get it to me directly. And just doing that and keep asking them questions about how they feel 
and what their thoughts are makes them feel so much better already if they can just tell you what their problem is and really get it out there. And so after that, I usually give them about 20% of telling them what they want me to say. So I give them exactly what they want to hear, but I only give them that to them about 20% of the way. And that combined with my really good apology email of... <laughs> Just, you know, and I only do this when I'm genuinely sorry, but if if I did something wrong or if something in the process went wrong that I would have not liked to have had happen, then I do tell them and I make sure that I'm really honest and upfront with them about that. And I think all of those things combined almost always ends happily and you can avoid those things in the first place by just creating an environment where you allow people to express their opinions and to express their feelings up front so that people don't have all of these thoughts going on in the back of their head they're not talking about teammates behind each other's backs and so on and I think those things for me usually work but I think I have kind of a softy sort of a probably too heavily emotional uh, point of view on this subject uh but it works for me i don't i don't think it seems overly emotional at all it all seems right. like uh, one of the healthiest approaches i've ever heard absolutely <laughs> as opposed to all those unemotional people that just argue for the rest of their life and die <laughs> stubborn sight writing an email that says well actually at the beginning of it <laughs> <laughs> those awful awful human beings no that, i think meg's way is really off like awfully healthy i'm I, I, for me, it gets a little stress induced and anxiety inducing because it's just sort of like, I just want resolution. Um, and there's definitely the days where like, I'll fight to the death for an idea and I'll meet you out in the parking lot if it gets too rough, <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Um, but um, like the other time it's like really just being comfortable with like, you know what? Someone else had a, like a, a way more clever solution, a better, a clever, more, you know, a simple solution to a complicated idea and just respecting that person for being able to like put that together. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's just, it's, I don't know, I'm getting older. I just don't need the stress. <laughs> I appreciate you saying it's anxiety inducing because here's the thing I'll find myself doing often, which is really standing up for a point, sending that email and then being like, oh my God, what did I do? Oh, yep. oh yep. wow. Now I, have to, now I have to sit here and wait for the answer. And then sometimes it comes back. I'm like, oh, I was right. That was perfect. Cause they replied and they said that was great. And sometimes it comes back. I'm like, oh. Why did I do this? Why? What was the point of doing this? And then you do it yeah, again not, immediately in response <laughs> to that email. Time, but then, yeah, of course. Then, of course, I do it again, and uh, I get stressed out about it. So that that is part of it. It's like there's sometimes where you're just like, I don't want to. I don't want to do this today because I don't want the anxiety of having to deal with it forever. It's not that big a deal. We can move forward. Uh, it's not all the time, but like sometimes you pick your battles. It's just, it's not a sexy thing to say in design. It doesn't sound good. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm a Steve jobs type and I'm going to spend an extra million dollars to make it square. But you know, you live in the real world and you have clients that you respect and you don't act like an asshole sometimes. Amen that's to okay that too. brother. Yeah. Amen to that. It's just, I think that's, and also no one talks about that side of things. It's like our jobs are super stressful. <laughs> and, and it's even though like we're regarded as artists, like internally, externally, like you make, and you're making a thousand, a thousand decisions, a thousand cuts, like, you know, every day to get through this. And I think at some days I'm just like, you know what? I will pick my battle. I will be here tomorrow at nine 30 and I will put a smile on my face and we'll do this again. Cause I feel like sometimes the, the, the like stereotype of the design leader, uh, it's not said in the description, but like you can add the bullet point at the end. That is like, they are very disrespectful to everyone they meet. And that's not a great way to go through life. <laughs> Um, I'd rather I'd rather sometimes let a couple things go and be respectful to the people that are 
uh, keeping my business afloat. That's okay. That's fine by me. Also, when there's a leader in some organization that is notoriously kind of a wang, uh, but gets results, <laughs> that's a good headline. When there's a leader in a company that's just a nice person that just works hard and gets results, that's not a headline. That's not a notorious thing people will talk about. That just flies under the radar. It's a little not confirmation, selection bias, what's I your, guess. What's your big secret during your TED Talk? Well, I'm respectful to the people around me, and uh, I'm nice, and then I go home, and then I do it again tomorrow. Why? What do you, what do you want to know? It's funny that you bring that up because, like, the other part of the design leader is it's like I've I've definitely like worked under the the various thinking minds of design thinking philosophy, and so like they're just running you into a frenzy trying to like generate ideas out of you or trying to like uh, put the fear of God in you or like you know it's, it gets very austere very quickly, and I'm like uh, again you can you know more you can catch more bees with like I don't know, flies with sugar and honey I don't know how to like yeah, well, that, <laughs> look I don't know how to catch bees okay I know all that stuff. I'm, I'm not, not a beekeeper. Bee catcher. I'm not a beekeeper, <laughs> but like, if you're nice to me and if you're nice to the people we work with, then we're gonna get through today. Like, you catch a lot more gatambas with a smile than you exactly. do. Exactly. I mean, whatever I was, that other thing you said was. A- absolutely. I mean, I'm my metaphors, my Ringo star, and like, oh, I'm just off today. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. So the last thing I want to cover is how education and other systems that prepare us to be designers uh, have either failed us or succeeded in, in doing a good job preparing us for the realities of the world. Uh, and, and the thing I want to talk about specifically is group projects, which <laughs> when I was a student, uh, there was nothing worse than being assigned to a group project, which basically always meant that one person would be doing almost all of the work. Uh, everyone would get some weird share of the credit. Maybe one person would chime in and do a bad job, and you'd have to play the political game of make this person feel like they contributed, even though it wasn't that great, and we had to actually cut it, or maybe you try and include it. Like, it was never, it never felt like it was about design. It always felt like it was about all of the social mess around that, around that engagement and not the actual design itself. Uh, Meg, did you enjoy group projects? I feel like maybe you did. <laughs> <laughs> you would be wrong. Can, right. I make, can I make one prediction before everybody <laughs> says what they're about to say? Yes. Because we're all still designing and we're all in a design podcast right now talking about design after work. I bet everyone here was the person who said, screw it. I'm just going to take over this project and do it myself. You can all leave. You'll still get credit. It's going to be fine. Was that your experience, Meg? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not too far from the truth. Not Definitely. too far from the truth. Yeah, I... Uh... When I know exactly what I want to need to do, I just do it. And most people aren't that way. And most people like to wait until the last minute and then eventually do it. And so I would just be doing the thing. And no one else would ever be doing the thing except for me. <laughs> every time. And then by the time they came around and they're like, okay, let's get going. I'd already finished the whole thing. Yeah, that does happen. So is it just that group projects are incompatible with like with the idea of a project right like you're gonna have a week to work on this and bring in your designs next week and we'll critique them like why is it that the stakes are too low and that people just don't care because it's not their job and it's school and people take it the variance in how serious people take school is is too great uh why if designing in groups is good which i think we've all kind of agreed is at least very valuable in a lot of situations uh why are group projects so much worse and if so they are so much worse what can we do better uh for students that want to become designers and want to be good at the skills that we've discussed, but have no means of practicing it. 
Stakes are too low, and you just say, we're going to chop off your pinky if you don't participate. Absolutely. People won't change if they don't have anything to lose. That's first and foremost. I've, I've learned that the hard way. Like, okay, so we got Katamba uh, <laughs> and Matt, the mafia of graphic design education. <laughs> got to give them something to lose. Otherwise, they won't care. Okay, that's one approach. But at the same time, like, I think it's also, it's tutelage. I, it's, it's funny, I recently, uh, like, the opportunity to maybe teach came up uh, recently, and I, and I realized that, like, I... I really wanted to put them in real world situation, meaning like organizing them in a real world situation and also like finding them, um, you know, really having to get an understanding that it's not just the social dynamics. Like you have a responsibility, there's a deadline, there's going to be like, you know, each of you figuring out your styles of how long it takes you to get a project going. But when I was in school, I went to the Academy of Art in San Francisco. It was literally, hey, you, you, and you, you're in a project together. Go. You have until next week. And, and of course, it was a nightmare of everything Meg was just describing. And I th- actually, I think one of the biggest problems with that is the randomness of it. Like, in your life uh, or in your working life, it's less random than that. Either you've decided to join a company, uh, you've decided to create a company, you've just, you've picked a client to work with. I know it's not all, it's not always easy as like, you get to pick everything you do. Sometimes you just have to take work. Um, but there's some sort of filtering, which is the other people who work at the company with you also decided to go into the profession of graphic design and not drop out. <laughs> um, or, you know, you started your own company, you probably didn't pick people, you have no idea who they are, like picked them out of a hat. Uh, just the self-selection of it is helpful after that. So a serious question. And this is getting a little bit off topic, but, you know, that's what happens on podcasts. So uh, I get that. And the, the joke I've always made when I've been talked about group projects is that uh, I love collaborating with smart people on projects is, is what I always like to say. Um, so I don't believe, though, if you take that room of graphic design students and you, you know, look at the, the breakdown that, you know, the majority of them are going to end up either not being professionals or the majority of them actually don't care. The majority of them actually aren't any good. I think that you know, it, they, the reason you're in school is to learn something. And so you shouldn't have to show up at the table with everything, with all of those skills already in place. So like, I, I can easily remember a class that I was in and a group project I was assigned and the people I worked with are completely capable, excellent graphic designers out in the world doing their thing, but that group project still failed. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's just like, you didn't choose them and they're probably bad. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a, a justification for why those things probably well, fail. Well, I mean, we could also look at ourselves and say like, Hey, Matt, were you the greatest graphic designer in the whole world and great at working on teams mm. when you were uh, 20, 21? That, I also might have been terrible at that. Yeah, and, I think I definitely uh, was. I don't, I don't know if we can blame everybody else. I'm sure I also wasn't great to work with, and I probably was a little bit more of a jerk and said, I have a vision, I'm going to do this thing, and you're going to listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, I, I, you grow. I, I, I've learned to work better in teams with each iteration of, like, I, I mean... Um, to, like Andy said it earlier, like creativity is kind of work. Working in groups of people in groups of big ideas is is work, and it takes time to equate yourself to all of that and get good at like like you also end up managing yourself in those teams, managing your other friend. I mean, the other colleagues in it. You know, they might be your friends, they might not. Um, and but it's definitely like me at you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty was definitely not the same person at thirty. Yeah, I agree. I think when I was that age, I thought I knew everything that I needed to know. And I just wanted to do everything, and I did it. And now, today, I realize that my brain can only work one way, it seems. And every time I try to design something, it kind of comes out in Meg's style. But when I work with other people, I get to use their awesome brains, and then it makes something that I couldn't have done by myself. And so now I 
every time I make something, I show it to somebody else and I make them fix it for me and I make them work on it a little bit. And that way it always makes everything better. And I would have never thought that when I was a student. Yeah. All right. I want to go to our last thoughts, closing thoughts. We got to figure out what we're going to call this, this end of the show segment. I don't know what. Oh, end of the show segment. That's really good. No, 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 no. <laughs> closing statement sounds too formal and legally closing thoughts. Is there some, is there some real designy pun you can use? You would love that. No, 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 no. no. Shush, shush. Bad boy. There will be no design puns. Uh, this is the end. This is the by committee section. We're going to go to the end of the show where we get a final word from everybody. Uh, I, I just want to say that I think uh, my favorite part about working on a team is the experience when I have an idea and I think this is a stupid idea and I say this is a stupid idea but and I state the idea and then somebody else I'm working with realizes the secret little nugget in that thing that was actually good that I couldn't see because of all of the bad that was surrounding it uh, and that to me always felt like kind of the the heart of good collaborative work is people that are willing to share the thing that they think is probably bad uh, and they've already kind of written off in some way and the sharing of that thing sparks something sparks something actually good in somebody else uh, and then that, that kind of like seeing through other ideas and different perspectives is really kind of the big value for me uh, so closing thoughts Meg oh yeah my closing thought is just make friends make friends with people who are very good at what they do and make those friends work with you and trust them and you're going to have an awesome environment and it's going to be really great. Closing thoughts, Katamba. Um, just, you know, spend a lot of time peering into your neighbors, sort of your, your teammates fences and seeing where they go for inspiration, how they diverge from you and then converge from you. And then how you guys sort of, you know, find this semblance of togetherness and find each other supported in a really, you know, awesome idea together that you both are feeling strong in because it's just, it'll make you the stronger designer, period. Hearing in those fences is why all those animals have a collective restraining order against you. That's exactly, creepy. dude. Exactly, dude. You, this is exactly why the courts had to come down and, you know, with an order. Matt, do you have closing thoughts? You want to bring it on home? I think there's time to be a leader and take the, take the front seat. But I think, also think you have to find your time to take a back seat and realize that, like, it, you know, you have, to, you have to listen to the person leading the project and just follow and do a good job because you're not actually doing a good, jo good job by putting a wrench in the gears every three seconds. Um, and then be respectful to people. You don't have to be a Steve Jobs type, even if it's not totally in your nature to be respectful all the time. And you have to learn that in your life. Uh, that's, that's a better way to work on teams because the bottom line is it's not super fun to work alone all the time. You might think that up front that all you want to do is work by yourself and follow your vision, but you're going to get lonely. So learn to make friends and be nice to people and you'll get sick of working by yourself. So you're going to go work with a team. It's going to be great. You'll appreciate it. Yep. And also working by yourself is kind of a fallacy, as Meg pointed out. You just end up working with your clients who you didn't necessarily choose as much as your teammates. All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Meg, Katamba, thank you so much. This was a total delight. Uh, and thank you, guys. Especially, hey, man. Awesome. especially thank you for being on an episode of a podcast that is not yet released. And you don't even know if anyone's going to listen to it. That uh, I, I appreciate this that vote of confidence. <laughs> you guys don't even know what the intro music is. How do you even know if it's good? Yeah, could be bad. bad. Uh, so, Meg, where can people find you? Where do you want to point people uh, if they want to get more Meg in their lives? And after hearing about how happy your life is, I think everyone probably does. Uh, my URL is butt.guru. <laughs> That's true. I just got the domain. I'm very excited about it. So go to butt.guru. 
uh, for my website. Also, if you're on the internet, on the social media, I am at darn good. I said that weird because there are four O's in good. And <laughs> that is me. Gitambo, where can people find you? Uh, I, I'm also on the interwebs uh, at Monument Sinking on Twitter, where I tweet really weirdly most of the time. Um, and then you can find me at my first name, Gitamba.com, which is my Tumblr, which is just an amalgam of every social media all together. And you can ask me questions, and I, and I love getting questions. All right. That's the show. We made a podcast. We did it. Yeah. We're all done. Yay. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Working File. Our website, workingfile.co, has all of our episodes and contributors on it. You can subscribe via RSS or iTunes. And if you like the show, leave a review, five star on iTunes. Say something nice. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's what my mom always taught me. That is exactly what my mom said about iTunes when I was a kid. Shout out to my mom. Mm-hmm.